0: Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast, and I'm glad you're back for part two of our conversation with Ryan Waters. Uh, Ryan, our content strategy director here at Grace Story Ministries, is also a licensed counselor, and he's been walking us through uh, some of those practical aspects of what do we do with grief. If you haven't just yet, go back to episode 24 uh that's the first part of this conversation you're going to want to listen to that first uh so that you can kind of know what's going on in this second episode um but if you've already listened to that you're all set and we're going to jump in right where we left off on our conversation with ryan waters well as you're as you're talking about this i mean it sounds like there's going back and forth it may ebb and flow um I want to ask this question so that we can kind of know when can I deal with this on my own? Cause we did have in Paul's story as he, he talked about his journey with grief. He, he was able to uh, forego talking to a counselor um, and others. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked to Don Davison in his transitions of life and some of his things, he did go talk to a counselor. So mm-hmm. how, how can I know? Uh, and I know you're a bit biased that everyone should talk to a counselor, but you know, how can I know that going to a counselor is, is going to be worth my time uh, and mm-hmm. worth my energy? Because if I'm truly grieving here, there's going to be, a, 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 my energy is is important because there's not going to be a lot of it during that time uh, sure. and investing my, my resources in a counselor. How can I know when yeah. it's time to go talk to somebody like that?
1: A great question. And just to clarify, I, people have been getting help from grief long before the counseling field you know came on the scene and so uh, there's a a quote i think it's by keating that says something along the lines of psychotherapy is what god has been secretly doing throughout history by other names and so sometimes it's not always necessary to go see a counselor when i think it becomes more necessary is when you find yourself especially in that 10 percent that gets really stuck and that complicated grief and uh just a, a quick side piece on that like how do you know when you're in that stuck piece it's kind of like when you wake up every day and the pain feels exactly to the intensity that it did the day before and you're six months out and it still feels like the pain just happened yesterday well and especially if it's creating what you would call clinically significant distress so it, you have a hard time functioning in life you have a hard time maintaining friendships or work engagements or it's affecting your ability to enjoy life in and consistent ways well those are all signs that it may be something more complicated that needs a higher level of care and please don't hear shame in that you're even remotely instead hear for some folks uh, the process flows out a little bit differently and that's not uh, that they're doing something wrong uh, sometimes it's very neurological uh, there's some fascinating research out there uh, I'm trying to remember i think it was a it was, they were doing some experiments on voles that mated for life and you can actually track the neural activity that shows when there's loss of their spouse and the lengths to which they'll go to try and get that spouse again so it sounds a little mean, so bear with me here. What they would do was they would take a, uh, a paired uh, mate and they would put this, uh, they put them in a box that the, the spouse had to push a lever on repeatedly until the cage opened and the spouse could get out. Um, and then what they would do that a while and, and the, the, the mate would go to extreme lengths to gain access to their spouse. But eventually they stopped allowing the spouse to come out and eventually the spouse or the, the free pair, or the free spouse would stop pushing on that bar after a while because they started giving up hope that their, their spouse would come out. And in some degree, and I should say this, they couldn't see the spouse. It was in a, in a different room. In some ways, that's what happens is our brains move out of that raging of wanting this, pushing for this, aching for this into an acceptance of This is the reality that I'm in right now. And so the neural activity actually slows down around that, allowing us to be more functional in other areas of life. So for some folks, when that neural activity gets stuck in the on position, they need a higher level of care to figure out what to do with that. And sometimes that shows up as depression. Grief and depression are not the same thing. Sometimes depression accompanies grief, but not everyone who experiences grief experiences depression but when those two things get uh, intertwined is one of the symptoms that may tell you okay this person needs a higher level
0: of care by going to see a counselor but you're you're not wrong that sounds terrible <laughs> that sounds <laughs> no. awful and i hope well, the ex- i hope the voles got back together at some point uh, I,
1: I think they did the uh, the experimenter
0: said yeah we do this because we can never do this with humans and i'm like <laughs> no <"Nope. laughs> you never could yeah there may be some picketing on that but yeah that that is charged imagery though, uh, if we, if we, you know, transpose that over into our lives of what we're doing, furiously hitting some figurative uh, lever, trying to get back what's never going to come back. Um, and I can see why you might need a professional uh, or even a support group. And on that point, support groups, I mean, are they, are the, is that, is that worth anything? Cause sitting in a circle singing Kumbaya doesn't sound profitable. Um, And again, not worth my time or my energy. Um, what, What would you say to someone who's considering or has been told, hey, you might benefit from a support group? So I do think
1: that support groups are helpful, but I will point out that not all support groups are created equal. And so you have to know what you're looking for in a support group and know when you find it. So a support group is not a list of people sitting in a circle telling you exactly what you need to do to get better. support group is people who have similar experiences that say i'm with you in this and it can be remarkably validating because you know you're not alone you're not the only one feeling the things you're feeling thinking the things you're thinking Uh, for some people they say i don't feel crazy anymore i realize i'm not the only one dealing with this level of pain Uh, so yes they can be helpful and I, i talk to people regularly who their support group is their lifeline. I mean, they're they're in contact with these people on a daily basis. This isn't just a once a week thing. And in the dark hours in the morning, they have people they can turn to.
0: But and and Facebook has made some of those groups a little bit more available to people. Mm-hmm. Some types of support groups. Hopefully, there's a VOL support group out there uh, for those separated <laughs> from their spouses and pushing lovers. But uh, so it, and you said not all support groups are created equal. So uh, channeling someone who is listening and thinking uh, and wants to ask the question, ask the question, I feel all alone, even in my support group with people like me. uh, I feel like no one understands me. Will anyone ever understand me? Hmm. Great question.
1: If we're looking for someone to perfectly understand us, we're really looking for God, not another human. If we're looking for someone to mimic that to a degree that is possible in human form, then yes, we can, we can look for that in another human. But we have to, my favorite phrase, calibrate expectations and what we're looking for there. So is it, uh, sometimes I like to refer to this as like a feedback loop. So whenever you're communicating to someone, you may say, all right, I just explained this to you, tell me what you heard me say. And then when that person repeats it back to you and you're like, oh yeah, they, they got it. They did understand what I was trying to say. It may not sound, they didn't use the exact same words, but they got it. There's that sense of, ah, okay, I'm understood. That happens emotionally too. We convey our, our emotions to someone and then whenever they convey, they get it. They don't use the same words, but they're on our page and they understand the pain that we're in. It can be remarkably validating. It's like, oh, okay someone understands where I'm at. And that is a realistic expectation to have for the key people who are in your inner circle around grief and loss.
0: So what I'm I'm hearing you say is for a true understanding, don't look to humanity, look to God. Um, and and through that dive into God's word and listen, but then also Mm -hmm. take that listening aspect, and point outwards and listen to others what they're saying back to me. Cause maybe I'm just not hearing the validation. Maybe I'm just not hearing the understanding of someone in my life.
1: Well, and there's a, another complexity to this, especially when people have been wounded in the past, they may be less likely to reach out to other people. And so we have to keep that in mind too, because trauma influences your capacity to reach out. Uh, it, we said this before, it replaces rituals of connection with protection. And so you tend to wall off easier and that shows up in spiritual trauma too you may be less likely to view a god who is truly empathetic and feeling your pain with you in this moment but i think that's the reality of scripture represents and sometimes uh, having someone who can physically represent that to you makes it easier to understand a god who
0: can well that that reminds me of a phrase that in our, our just this last episode with don davison on transition and loss he said Uh, on this point, vulnerability, uh, creates connection that, that (laughs) vulnerability, you have to have that vulnerability to have the connection. There has to be an openness in order to connect. Uh, and that's scary. Like you said, especially if you've, uh, you know, been hurt in the past or, you know, you're too tender in your loss to open up to somebody. Uh, what may be the first or that first step to being able to open up, uh, to someone very first is recognizing the need to
1: and until a person reaches that place you know they can be cajoled all they want into seeking help or, or opening up and it's not going to do any good because that it's an inside job it's something that you have to come to an awakening in your own heart and mind secondarily identifying someone that you feel comfortable enough with to take the risk of vulnerability and Um, Hopefully, that is a success. That person doesn't move into fix it mode. They're in your corner. Um, They don't offer pleasant platitudes that try and alleviate your pain immediately. They are secure enough that they can sit in the discomfort with you rather than being dysregulated themselves by your discomfort. Uh, Hopefully, that's the person you find. But here's my encouragement if that's not your experience, that's not what you find on your first attempt when reaching out for support, don't give up in the process of searching. Find, Keep looking until you find someone who is that for you. Because if you're adrift in that sea, you need a life jacket. And you're not gonna, I'm not saying it's impossible to go through grief alone. I'm saying it's certainly not optimal and doesn't have to be the case. We all need someone in our corner when that time comes.
0: Well, the person you're describing also sounds like someone who has a, a very clear understanding of a social interaction, but then also kind of those boundaries that we talk about and they, they won't go any further into your life, probably more than they are invited into your life. Yes, uh, So you absolutely. inviting them in seems very important. And the Grace story community page uh, on Facebook, the closed group, uh, mm-hmm. You can just go to Grace Story Ministries' uh, Facebook page and click on groups. Go in there; that's a great place to start to find these these people who are interested in restoration. They're on a journey. They understand um, and, and get connected. Uh, Absolutely. I want to go to a different place, uh, some place that you know we it has a stigma. We don't talk about it as much. Um, it it's one of those things where people say don't do it just don't do it um and then it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to be available that's suicide um and you know i I think it's a very real risk uh with people not i think i know people that have gone through significant loss and what that loss means to them you know we put people on suicide watches uh, we get them mental help, mental health uh help so can we talk a minute um about suicide and those who have experienced loss that are at that point where they don't feel like they could go through it, but they feel like, man, it's it's definitely an option. Or that maybe they yeah. feel like people might be better off without me because I'm dragging people down. Uh, can yeah. you talk to those people uh, for just a moment? Yeah, absolutely. So suicide, uh, the numbers
1: have been increasing, especially for teens. It's now the, one of the number one, at least in Ohio. Uh, reasons for death and and teens, Uh, suicide is not something that we should take lightly or be afraid to talk about. The old belief was that if you talked about it, then you increased the likelihood that it was going to happen. And that's just not true. Research doesn't bear that out at all. The reality is when people are in pain, many times their thoughts go to very lonely, dark, isolated places. And especially when depression is in the picture, you have feelings of low self-worth, you think people would be better off without you in the picture. All of those thoughts are just right on the surface, brimming. And the reality is, especially when suicide is frequently a part of someone's life, a higher level of care is needed. They need someone to help them figure out what to do with those thoughts, not to shame them for them, to make them feel less than, or to make them feel the common phrase crazy, but let them know, Hey, there, there are options out there to help you through this. And you do not have to bear this alone and let me help you walk through this journey. And if I could say one thing to anyone that's dealing with depression, it would be one, you're not alone. And two, there is help for you. Uh, there are some tremendous resources out there including suicide hotlines um in fact if you don't mind i'll just give one of those right now just because i think that could be good for folks to have and i i i keep this in my phone not just because i'm a counselor but uh most likely at some point in your life you're going to find someone who wrestles with these thoughts and having a resource in your phone that you can say hey here's a number you can call if you don't feel comfortable calling me day or night, 24 seven anonymous, there's someone here to help you. So that number is 1-800-273-8255. And that's the national suicide prevention hotline.
0: And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for people too, because I think you're right. This is, this is something that we should talk about more. Uh, shed some light on it. Um, let people know, Hey, it's like we're talking about some other things. You're not alone. There's other people that have felt like this. Um, and it's not just something like just don't do it. Um, it's a frame of mind. It's uh, something you're going to battle. Um, and you're not alone in it. Well, there's another piece to it too.
1: And this is, uh, kind of a a thread of thought that's just now being developed. But many times when you have someone wrestling with suicide, it's because they feel absolutely powerless in life and they don't have a capacity to enact any kind of positive change. And so one of the major goals in working with someone with suicidal ideation, which is the technical term for having thoughts of suicide, uh, is how do I empower you? You have the power to end your life That's why those thoughts are there. How do we empower you to make, uh, to find the solutions that really bring you long-term relief, uh, and that move you towards health and stability. Uh, and so recognizing the role that those thoughts are really playing, like those thoughts are really saying, I can't handle this level of pain. Okay. If we believe that that assertion is true, that you can't handle that level of pain, then what do we do to alleviate that pain? Suicide is the thing that's coming up for you right now, but there are other options. What can we do to help bring you long-term relief, like bringing in support systems, like letting you know that you don't have to carry this burden alone, like getting you rest and true deep sleep, which some people are really aching for and can't find, especially if that grief is really significant. So helping empower them to make choices that ultimately move them forward in life rather than Uh, keeping them stuck in the suicidal ideation as part of the long-term
0: solution. Okay. I'm, I'm listening as a person who is experiencing suicidal ideation and I'm hearing what you're saying. It sounds great because I want to work through some of those things, but I'm also afraid to even tell anyone about this because I know that once I say that bad word suicide, or that I've even thought of it in the past, present, or could in the future that I'm going to be looked at differently and people are going to be worried about me forever and if yeah. I go to a professional like you, Ryan, I might just be put in a padded cell and restrained, and I'm not going through that. So I'm. So yeah. Speak to someone who maybe because they've seen it happen, probably uh, seen yeah. someone marginalized or had a stigma around them because they voiced these suicidal yeah. ideations. How do I bridge and yeah. get to you or a counselor for that help to move through those things to get rid of this monkey off my back?
1: Well. Let me walk through this carefully. The person who has attempted suicide or has very significant levels of ideation, like they have a plan in place, they know when everything's in place, that person needs a very significant level of care because the threat is just so significant, the, the loss is right around the corner. So there's that level of ideation. But most people, and I I speak generally here, but most people at some point in their life have had fleeting thoughts of wanting to escape, wanting to end their life. And for that person, I just want to let you know, you're not alone in that. That doesn't mean that you are crazy or that you have uh, somehow, you know, you're worthy of the stigma that goes around that. It means you're human. And anyone that would put you in a, and a, a box there and say, well, that person's a little off the rocker. That tells you much more about them than you. And so uh, you need to keep that in mind. Two, understand that any thoughts of wanting to end your life are like a, a warning sign in the dashboard of your car. They're saying something needs to be addressed here and it needs to be addressed soon. So it doesn't mean that it's a a predetermined event. It's going to happen no matter what. Nothing like that. It means, wow, there's something here that really needs to be looked at. And if I can't look through that on my own, then it's okay to get a mechanic in here to say, what do I need to do to bring relief to this? What needs to be looked at under the hood? And that's where a counselor would come in.
0: So I'm I'm hearing you say, just because I think something as extreme as suicide, uh, just because I think it, I don't have to do it. And if I don't do it, it doesn't mean my thoughts were not genuinely my thoughts. Um, Correct. Because I think sometimes... it's mean, a cry for help. Sure. I think sometimes you could like, well, if I don't do it now, then I'm not following through on, you know, what I promised to do. No it's, no, it's a cry for help. Um, Absolutely. And it's one no one wants you to follow through on whatsoever. No. I love that we're talking about topics like this, uh, you know, suicide. It needs talked about more. Uh, but not everybody's at that point, thank heavens. Um, uh, if you find yourself at that point, you know the Great Story community is a great place to start. Um, and and yeah. also check the show notes uh, for that number that, that Ryan uh, has added as well. And I think we're at a point in this episode where I'd love to have you just speak directly to the listener. And, and if there's something you want to leave them with, a challenge, something you want them to hear, something you want them to do, um, some words of encouragement, maybe, um, what next steps can they take? Uh, give you that time to do that. Yeah. So as we're jumping in
1: here, I think one thing that might be helpful for folks just to understand is a bit about who I am and maybe a little bit of my own journey with grief and loss. So when I was 14, I remember very vividly my dad getting sick. And it was highly unusual because my dad never got sick. And I remember going into my room, it was dark, and praying that my dad would not have cancer. And that word had never been mentioned. But, and this is a discussion for another day, God chose not to answer that prayer. My dad had late-stage pancreatic cancer. So from the time he got sick to his funeral, was about 30, 35 days. And so it happened very quickly. And so my life was turned upside down very quickly. And I went through about a two to three year period of pretty profound grief and depression, um, loss of interest in things, extreme anger and, uh, irritability. uh, Lots of unhealthy coping skills like food and video games, just trying to numb out from the pain of that all. One of the really important things that helped me make sense of my pain and really learn how to come out of it was I had two consistent people in my life. Uh, my mom was there, of course, but uh, two outside folks: uh, pastor of mine, Pastor Sonny Bignear, and then a, a teacher, uh, Michael Arnold. They both continued to stay engaged with me even when life didn't make sense and I was really hard to be around. And they loved me and they showed compassion and empathy. They spent time with me and they they never gave up. And one of the consistent themes you'll hear in dealing with grief and loss is, there's people who stick with me even when I may be hard to be around. They're not put off by my own discomfort, by my own pain. And so we'll get into this too, but that's one of the things we can offer to people who are in the midst of grief and pain and can't make sense of it. Um, in the middle of that darkness with me, I wrestled with suicide as well and had was very close to acting on that, on that suicidal ideation. But again, people came alongside me in those very dark moments and never gave up on me. And so that's one of the huge things that shaped me and and who I am and and really feeds into my compassion for folks who who are in that position as well. One thing to keep in mind here is there are things you can do. So let me tie back into my own story here for a second. So I had people in my life like my pastor and teacher who never gave up on me and who consistently reached out into my life. And to be honest, I wasn't a very lovable teenager. Uh, I was very morose and, and very irritable but they were people who were able to look past that and recognize that that anger underneath the surface was actually called pain and sadness and they saw that and spoke to that and so when we see that in other people's lives and we're able to look past even the discomfort that we may feel because of their pain and we say I see you and I see the pain and I'm not going to look away from it. In fact, I'm going to stick with you in it and stay in your corner. That goes a long way. And there's a lot of tools like that that we can use to help bring what I would consider to be God's hands and feet on earth to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Finding the courage to identify a safe person in your life to reach out to is often the first step. And if you don't know who that is, then it's okay to ask someone who does know who that is, you know, cause usually, even if you don't have someone in your circle, you have someone who knows how to get you in touch with someone who is the right connection point for that. Uh, so find the courage to reach out and ask for help. And there are support groups out there. And if you need help finding those, please reach out to the Grace Story community. That's what we're here to do. And it's a huge part of what we do. And we'll be happy to help you connect with, with someone. Uh, the other piece is there is an online course uh, that I think people would find really helpful. It's free. And so I'll put a link to that down in the uh, the, the podcast notes. And so people can take a look at that and, and glean some uh, some help from that resource as well.
0: Well, that's just about all we have time for. I know we stretched this from one into two uh, episodes. Um, there's just so much to talk about around this topic. I know we're gonna have some more guests on in the coming episodes. Um, we're gonna have Ezra Bayer on talking about some of uh, the things that he's gone through with depression and even thoughts of suicide. We're also gonna have Sharnika Elliott on uh, sharing her story. Uh, she had two children who were stillborn also, a miscarriage uh, before she had children uh, that lived through through childbirth. Um, you know, a mother through all that dealing with loss. So, some more things to look forward to. Um, so, I, I we're also going to have on Courtney Collingsworth Mets, um, and she's going to be sharing her story of uh, finding her her baby. EO. They're in Thailand at the uh, time of this recording, Um, and they're going to come on and share their story as well. We're really looking forward to that. But Ryan, thank you for coming on and sharing uh, your time uh, and your professional perspective, uh, helping us work through the grief and the loss and validating what everyone is feeling in the Grace Story community. So thank you for coming on. Glad to be here. And a big thank you to each of you joining in on this conversation uh, from the great story community. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, man, I, every time we have Ryan on, I feel like I learn something new. Um, just looking at the concepts that he breaks down for us. I Sometimes I feel like, well, that's so obvious. I should have been thinking about it that way the entire time, but um, you know, <laughs> My, my thinking has changed, and I always leave with uh, something that challenges me and something where I need uh, to to process and kind of look at, at things from a different angle. So I know we'll have Ryan on more in the future, uh, along with other counselors, so I can't wait to have him back on. Um, but... That's all we have for right now, Uh, but uh, until we're back, we hope that you'll go over to our Facebook page, uh, Grace Story Podcast, and just click on that and click like, share it with all your friends. Uh, Follow us on Instagram as well, Grace Story Podcast. Uh, We'll have some stuff over there for you. And if you found this episode particularly helpful uh, or you know someone that can use the information, go ahead and share this podcast with them and let's grow the Grace Story community. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, we'll be praying for you.